0: So Harry has been and has been associated with Goodwood for the past 30 years, an instructor at the circuit, been involved in the campaign to return to racing, and has driven in both the Revival and the Festival of Speed. He's an author and a very active member of the talks team here at Brooklands. Welcome Harry Sherard.
1: First of all, if you're wondering why um, a guy from Northern Ireland is doing the, uh, the Goodwood talk, uh, I've actually lived and worked near Goodwood for uh, more than 30 years now. Combined a career in law with uh, involvement in that uh, motorsport. So I first actually went down to Goodwood back in 1988 to do some uh, testing of uh, Formula Ford and, and other cars. There were quite a few sprints at Goodwood in the 80s and 90s. I competed down there. Uh, I became an instructor at the racing school. I'll mention that again a little bit later on. I was at the first Festival of Speed in uh, 1993. I then joined the, uh, I was a founder member, early member of the Goodwood Supporters Association, which was a lobbying group to bring uh, motor racing back to uh, the circuit, which which of course was successful, the first revival then in 1998. I then raced myself in the revival in uh, 2012. I've been involved for a number of years in a a lesser known but still very good uh, Goodwood event, the South Down Stages Rally, for a number of years. I'll tell you more about that later. And then finally, in 2017, I uh, ticked another box by driving in the Festival of Speed. And then in uh, 2018, uh, Steve and the Brooklands team asked me to do a talk about uh, Goodwood, and that was uh, precisely uh, 30 years after my uh, first involvement there. So Goodwood describes itself as uh, England's premier sporting estate, which is uh, vividly captured by this uh, marvelous painting, which hangs in the in the kennels, one of the, the Goodwood clubhouses. So here in the centre we have uh, Goodwood House itself, with uh, the uh, Festival of Speed, of course, happening up the uh, the driveway in front of the house. Up at the top here we have the horse racing of course, and uh, uh, of course. Uh, down here we have the circuit uh, with the, the, where the revival takes place and you can see lots of civil aviation going on here, the flying school and uh, the flying club. You can see the farm at Goodwood, was actually one of the big organic farms in uh, Europe. If you look very closely in here you'll see the cricket pavilion and a cricket match going on. And in fact some of the early rules of cricket were set at Goodwood and, and those rules are, are still in the archive and a couple of golf courses going on here. So uh, a very busy uh, estate. So the Goodwood story began in uh, 1672 with this splendid fellow. He was uh, King Charles II and he had uh, an eye for the lady, shall we say. He had a number of mistresses, uh, including one uh, French woman called uh, Louise. She was his favorite mistress and uh, she bore him a son in uh, 1672. And they called the son Charles uh, after his uh, father. Now, the boy could never be heir to the throne because he was, of course, um, illegitimate. And uh, perhaps to some extent, in compensation for that, the king gave him uh, a lot of titles. Uh, He he gave him the title of uh, the Duke of Richmond, the Earl of March and Baron Settrington. And those of you who follow Goodwood will know that all of those titles are still uh, in existence um, up to this day. Um, We're now on the 11th Duke, uh, with one exception, one important exception, they've all been called Charles, and that obviously links directly back to uh, Charles uh, II. So the first Duke um, came down to Goodwood, first of all, to go hunting, and he uh, clearly liked the place because in 1697 um, he bought uh, Goodwood House. And as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we're now on the 11th Duke, and the estate has been continuously in the ownership of the family now for more than uh, 320 years. Um, Good old house didn't look like this back in those days. Um, the original Goodwood house is this section in at the back that you, you probably don't really get to see very often, rather than this uh, magnificent facade at the front that we're all unfamiliar um, with. Um, this section was built by uh, later dukes, uh, mainly in the in the 1800s, but this was the original section and uh, that's where uh, the, the first Duke bought. Now, there's lots of uh, valuable art in the house, including, uh, for example, this uh, painting by George Stubbs, uh, very famous uh, painter of the day. And uh, there are very knowledgeable tour guides at Goodwood House. And uh, when things get back up and running again, I can uh, recommend that you uh, go on one of those tours. They're very very knowledgeable about the history of the family and the history um, of the house. Um, The fifth Duke um, had an uncle who died without issue. And from him, uh, the fifth Duke inherited another dukedom, that's the Dukedom of Gordon. And again, uh, you'll, you'll note that the, the present duke is called the Duke of Richmond and Gordon's to a double dukedom there. The um, fifth duke also uh, began horse racing at uh, in 1802 up at the uh, the same site as to where the horse racing takes place now. Now, obviously, this evening I have no time to go through um, all of the dukes. We'd be here all evening um, if I did that. Um, but what I can say is that they they thankfully for us they they kept the whole estate alive, various. Uh, English country residences have been turned into hotels or apartments or even demolished for, for that matter uh, over, over the years but the dukes had their challenges they had their ups and downs including financial ups and downs but they thankfully for, for all of us um, they managed to keep the whole that state going uh, to the prosperous location that it is today. So let's fast forward now to the early 1900s and this was the Lord March of, of his generation this was the son of the 8th Duke. Uh, he was destined, therefore, to uh, become the ninth Duke. Um, he fought in World War One, but was captured by the Germans and actually spent the latter part of World War I in captivity, uh, eventually then being released in November 1918 uh, at the time of the armistice. Um, perhaps he felt he hadn't seen enough military action, and he, along with other uh, ex-British military servicemen, volunteered to fight in the Russian Civil War on the side of the white Russians against the Bolsheviks. And uh, Charles was sadly killed in Russia in uh, 1919. So the centenary of his death, of course, was uh, 2019. And uh, the 11th Duke, I know, made made a trip to Russia to to visit his grave there on uh, his his uncle's grave on the uh, occasion of of that, that centenary. So, Charles, of course, was unmarried, had no children, and therefore, on, on his death, the land and the titles were due to pass to his younger brother, um, Frederick, who became known as, as, as Freddie March, and Goodwood aficionados will know the Freddie March trophy and so forth. So Freddie wasn't born to be the Duke, but he became the Duke and what what an accomplished and fascinating life um, he led. He was a designer, he was an engineer, he was accomplished in so many different uh, aspects of life. And Good would have actually made a film about Freddie, which is uh, very well uh, worth watching. Um, Freddie, of course, was devastated by his elder brother's death, but he had to take on board his uh, new responsibilities. He went to Eton and to Oxford. But up at Oxford, he spent more time with the Oxford Motor Club than he did with his studies, more interested in cars and planes and bikes. And uh, he actually left Oxford with uh, no uh, qualifications, which uh, didn't go down very well with his parents. Now, he then used one of his titles, the Baron Settrington, and converted that into, as it were, a normal surname. And he became plain uh, Mr. Settrington. And using that name, he applied for jobs and was employed by Bentley in London. And it was a real job working for Bentley Motors, um, lying on his back on concrete floors underneath Bentleys, fixing them. So, you know, he really was genuinely uh, working for a living. His uh, sternly Victorian parents didn't really like any of this. Uh, Things then went from bad to worse because they didn't like his girlfriend either. Unfortunately, Uh, Betty, as seen here in the left, um, they didn't think she was Duchess material for one reason or another. So quite a bad rift. uh, came about between uh, Freddie and his parents. Um, Freddie's alliance was cut off and he even had to move out of the family flat um, in London. Just for completeness to finish the, the, the Betty and uh, Freddie story, uh, they did get married, they had two children, their son went on to become the 10th Duke and they celebrated the diamond wedding together. So that was very much despite that early disapproval and um, very much a happy ending. But back to the narrative. Um, fortunately, the rift between Freddie and his parents was uh, reconciled uh, uh, and his uh, alliance was uh, was restored. And what better way to spend it than to go um, racing at Brooklands. Um, here, Freddie is racing on the banking in Bro- at Brooklands. Uh, that's in 1930. Probably some people on the call know more about these, that era of cars than I do. But uh, he won the BRDC 500 in, in an Austin 7 Ulster. And he also won that same year the the, the big race at Brooklands, which was the double 12 in his MG. That's uh, that's quite a famous photograph of uh, Freddie. Some of you may well have seen that one before. So he had a very successful, but very short motor racing career. um, Having won a number of prestigious races, he then abruptly retired in uh, 1931. It obviously was a very dangerous era. He witnessed a number of bad accidents, and his responsibilities of being that the future Duke was, was wearing down on him. So he, he gave up driving, but he then became a team manager and cars managed by Freddie uh, crossed the Irish Sea in 1931. And they won both uh, the Irish Grand Prix and uh, and the TT, which then took place at Ards. So in 1935, the, the eighth Duke died and uh, the main titles and the land then passed to Freddie. And uh, to celebrate his elevation to the dukedom, uh, he held a Motoring Fun Day at uh, Goodwood House. And amongst the activities at the Motoring Fun Day was a hill climb up the road in front of Goodwood House. Now, you you can all see where this is going. This was the event which, uh, 60 years later, inspired his son to start the Festival of Speed. So it only happened once in period, uh, 1935. It's not a terribly good photograph, a bit blurry, but I think it's the only one of Freddie actually driving up the hill in uh, the uh, hill climb. So the end of the 30s, approaching 1939, of course, Second World War broke out. Uh, Freddie and Betty moved out of Goodwood House and left the main house to become a hospital. and They lived in in an apartment in in round the back. Freddie joined the RAF. And he was eventually assigned to the Ministry of Aircraft Production. And that spent quite a lot of uh, time in America in the latter stages of the war, at least. Now, in 1940, summer of 1940, we, of course, had the Battle of Britain. And RAF Tangmere down here is uh, just a few miles uh, from Brooklyn, uh, from Coodwood, rather. Now, Tangmere was a, a permanent brick built RAF base had been there since the first world war so the Luftwaffe had all the aerial reconnaissance photographs of Tangmere they could possibly want. So the need was established for a dispersal aerodrome in the vicinity and a survey of some land on, on West Hampton Farm which was part of the Goodwood estate established that there was a suitable flat area there for a dispersal airdrome and um, Freddie was approached and he agreed to uh, have the dispersal airdrome built there, and that therefore became RAF uh, West Hampnet. Now, this is, I think, probably one of the very earliest photographs of um, RAF West Hampnet. In the Battle of Britain era, it was very, very basic indeed. It was basically tents uh, and just a few uh, pre-existing buildings, but into 41, 42, it began to be more developed. And it was discovered that the Goodwood land got quite wet in the winter, and it wasn't possible for the tankers and other vehicles to go out to service the uh, aircraft. So the decision was made to build a perimeter road. And I find this a fascinating photograph because you can follow the outline around here. Those of you who are familiar with Goodwood, you can see it. Uh, and the, the perimeter road is clearly under construction um, in this uh, this actual photograph. This then was the airdrome. And if you're looking at this thinking, well, how could that be an airdrome with all, all these hedges everywhere and possibly some sort of little building? Um, well, that's what you're supposed to think, but more importantly, that's what the Luftwaffe reconnaissance pilots were supposed to think. Because um, these lines are actually fake, um, they're made with tar on the grass, so that from the air they look like hedges. Um, and in actual fact, um, all of this area here within the perimeter road was, uh, was completely open and that was uh, the operational airdrome. Um, and actually worked because RAF West Hampnet uh, was, was never attacked. There wasn't a single pound of German ordnance ever fell on RAF West Hampnet. Um, unlike the, the mother station of uh, Tangmere up the road, which was um, heavily bombed uh, several times. Now, the uh, menfolk of Sussex in uh, 1941-42 were, of course, heavily engaged in fighting Hitler and uh, a large group of uh, Irish labourers were brought across and it was actually them who uh, built the perimeter road. So one of the the lesser known facts about Goodwood is that uh, it was actually uh, built by the Irish This is someone I'm sure most of you recognise, uh, Douglas Badder, a courageous and inspirational double amputee. Um, he wasn't based at West Hampton during the Battle of Britain, but he came down there in 1941, um, the uh, following year. And in fact, his, uh, his famous last flight, last operational flight when he was uh, shot down over France, that actually uh, flight began from um, RAF at West Hampton. And he spent the rest of the war in cold. It's of course there was a bronze statue then revealed to Douglas Bader in uh, 2001 on the 60th anniversary of him being shot down. And I, I was present actually. I was at the uh, the opening ceremony, and that Lady Bader, his his widow, was was also there. Um, since I took that photograph, the, the uh, statue's moved. Actually, it's now outside the uh, the flying club. So here we are later in the war, 1943, these uh, wonderful typhoons on the outskirts of the uh, RAF West Hamptonite. So this little bit of tarmac here, if you know your corners at Goodwood, this would go on to become Madgewick, it's actually Madgewick corner here. So these pilots are returning from attacking V1 launching sites uh, in France. So you can see, West Hampton continued to be a very important base, and of course, on into then D Day in June 1944, again, that West Hampton had an important role to play there. So, if I've whetted your appetite for fighter pilot stories from West Hampton, here's a couple more, uh, a couple for you to read. Um, Johnny Johnson and Hugh Dundas, they were both based at West Hampton uh, during the war. They both flew with Badder, in fact, and uh, two really um, excellent books there. Now, also based at West Hampton was an Australian pilot called Tony Gaze. Now, Tony had raced in Australia prior to the war, and uh, he was to have a a profound and and lasting impact on uh, the Goodwood story. So this is what he had to say in 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 an interview later in life. I had an MG and so did another pilot officer, Dickie Stewart. When the perimeter track was finished, I looked at it one morning and said, I think it's time we christened this thing. So Dickie and I got into our MGs and went batting around, anti-clockwise as it happened. I'll come back to that anti-clockwise point later on. After a while, we persuaded one or two other chaps to join in and whenever there was nothing else going on to have a race around, that's how it went. So there you go. If you've ever wondered how motor racing started at Goodwood, that's the answer. It actually took place during the war uh, between uh, serving pilots. Now, the reason I put the two of them together there is because Tony Gaze went to Freddie, uh, or met Freddie, in uh, 1946, after the war was over, and said to Freddie, when are we going to start racing at West Hampnet? And Freddie um, didn't know what he was talking about. Now, I'd always kind of known that story that Tony Gaze had suggested racing at Goodwood or at West Hampton as it then was and I'd always kind of wondered to myself well why, why did Freddie not suggest it himself after all as we saw he was a pre-war racer and of course the potential track was on his land um, and after a bit more research and thinking about it what I realised was Freddie had never been there. Now I know it sounds extraordinary when we think of the very very close association between the the present Duke and the circuit. But if you think about it, pre-war, West Hampton was just a couple of um, unremarkable fields. By the time the war was over, the place was an absolute mess. It was full of deteriorating buildings, war scrap and debris, all the the detritus of war. It really was a, a complete and utter mess. So Fred had no reason to go there, and he didn't. But once Tony Gaze told him that he potentially had a racetrack on his property, Uh, He, of course, naturally, uh, immediately went down and had a look, drove around it and thought, yes, it does have potential. He brought down some people from the RAC and other motorsport people. Um, Everybody thought about it and decided that, yes, it had potential and that they would they would give it a go. So West Hamlet was renamed um, the Goodwood um, Motor Circuit. And a massive tidy up job I mean I think it took more than a year it gives you an idea of what a mess the place was it took more than a year uh, but by 1948 they were uh, good to go and this is a poster for that first ever meeting 18th of September 1948 as you can see it was just a, a single day um, meeting two shillings it cost a little bit more now um, if you're familiar with Goodwood again you you will actually Quite quickly, I think, realised that the basic layout of the place hasn't changed at all. So this is that first meeting in 1948. Luckily, they had a nice dry day, everybody out in the open like that. But the, along here would be where the pit garages now, the white pit garages are, are, are now located. This grass here would be the pit lane, and this would still would be the um, start-finish straight. Uh, along here, we have the little road that joins the uh, paddock onto the circuit. Lots of these wartime buildings have now gone, but of course this one down here survived, uh, and that became an iconic part of the Goodwood uh, infrastructure. That became the Super Shell building, uh, so uh, and that, that of course is still there to this day. So the um, the control tower would have been here as well. So it's just off to the right, just just to the right of that photograph, just 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 out of shot, and um, that was obviously a wartime building as well. And. Uh, I'm always slightly amused when I look at this matting here. Um, Goodwood use that kind of stuff to this day, getting you in and out of the car park, and there they are using it at the very first meeting in 1948. So uh, there's uh, nothing, nothing new, as the saying goes. Yes, for a, for a generation hardened by the war years, um, spectator safety wasn't a big priority in that 1948. Um, as you can see, uh, another shot of that, uh, that, that first meeting. So for us, uh, Brooklyn's members, of course, our late departed um, president, uh, Sterling Moss, you can see him there lining up in number seven in his Cooper Jap. Uh, And he raced at that first meeting in 1948 and that was his first ever race. Um, He had done a little bit of uh, uh, time trials, type of things and hill climbs and things, but this was his first actual race. And he went on to to develop, of course, a very strong association with uh, Goodwood, and when I raced there in 2012, I'll always remember at breakfast time, sitting down at the same table as Sir Sterling Moss. So uh, to, to, to be on the same bill as, as him at Goodwood, that was a, quite a special moment. Uh, needless to say, he went on uh, to win that race, that first race at uh, at a canter. So the meeting was a success and decision was taken to um, carry on with races in subsequent years. In 1951, there was a motorcycle race, and there was only one, actually, at the Revival, of course, there's a motorcycle race every year, but back in period, um, it only happened that, that one time in that 1951. The following year, then, they installed the um, chicane. If I just go back a second to the Sterling Moss picture. Um, so the chicane went into this location here. So it was felt that, that then, as now, the pit lane was here. Pit crews were too exposed to cars coming around this corner at at high speed. So to make it safer for them, and also to reduce a little bit the approach speed for Madgwick, the uh, chicane was then installed into um, this location here. Now, I don't know whose great idea it was to build a brick wall right in the middle of a race circuit, but literally that's where there were two brick walls. In fact, as you can see, that is literally bricks and mortar that the original chicane was actually built, and needless to say, it was flipping dangerous. Um, that, I think, is Jean Berra. I think that's a Maserati 250F that he hit, and he, I think he broke bones. He was you know, quite, quite, quite seriously hurt. Um, so, yes, not, not the material of choice, I think, for a building racetrack uh, infrastructure. Thankfully, these days, it's uh, no longer made of bricks, and I'll, I'll show you a photograph of the modern chicane later on. Um, Fangio raced at Goodwood once. There he is at uh, skimming the brick wall with about half an inch to spare. It looks um, he raced a BRM, not really a make we normally uh, associate with uh, Fangio. That was 1953, and uh, he finished at uh, second in that race. So there never was a Grand Prix at Goodwood. Sometimes people think that the British Grand Prix used to be there. Um, it wasn't, but there were a good number of non-championship races. And back then, the the Grand Prix wasn't the be-all and end-all. Um, it was uh, the non-championship races were, were prestigious in themselves and they attracted all the, the big stars and the big teams would uh, go down to Goodwood to race. Also lots of saloon racing. Again, I'm sure many of you recognise Graham Hill there in the Austin Leading. Um, different times. Back then, uh, Graham Hill was an established Formula One driver, but... Everybody drove everything, uh, and there he is uh, also racing in a, a saloon car. Uh, it's kind of hard, hard to imagine Lewis Hamilton racing a Fiesta, uh, but that's effectively the equivalent. And I, I like this picture because it has a sunbeam Rapier racing in period, and that, of course, was the car which I uh, raced when I raced at Goodwood in 2012. So some famous sports car races there as well, the, the TT and uh, the Nine Hours. This is one of my favourite um, Goodwood photographs. This is Jim Clark in 1962, in uh, the Aston Martin Sagato with a fantastic four-wheel drift through, uh, through Magwick Corner. I think that picture also tells you another bit of a story really because we're now into the early 60s and still very little in the way of infrastructure in terms of safety for um, spectators and so forth and it was those kinds of issues that would ultimately lead to uh, the demise of Goodwood as, as a racetracking period. So this is the same year and the same race, in fact, uh, as far as I can make out. Um, the RAC banned Le Mans starts in 1962. and This is 1962, so I think this must be the last ever uh, Le Mans start at Goodwood. And this here, I think that is Jim Clark there, if the uh, the, the blue helmet running towards uh, the Zagato there that we saw in uh, the uh, preceding photograph. Um, so being obviously banned, the, the Le Mans start, um, Goodwood can't, as part of the revival, replicate that, um, but someone came up with a brilliant idea of the Setrington Cup, where there is a Le Mans start, and I'll, I'll come back and show you that, that later on. It's a lot of fun. Interesting as well, I think, to look at the uh, the paddock there and period, and it's fair to say, you know, the the revival revived what happened in this period, but equally, the Goodwood these days, the modern Goodwood, is actually much nicer really than uh, Goodwood was in period it was a place that had a lot of appeal and a lot of charm but you know it was a little bit rough around the edges here and there as well it wasn't the uh, very very uh, well kept place that uh, we uh, we we know from that uh, from the present day and this is obviously a modern aerial photograph of Goodwood, but um, the reason I put it up is just to show you the location of Sterling Moss's accident. So Sterling Moss began and ended his career at Goodwood because he crashed there in 1962. I quite often read that Sterling Moss crashed at St. Mary's, which actually isn't correct. St. Mary's is the left-hander here. Um, he crashed at the right-hander there, which us Goodwood regulars call no-name because it doesn't have a name. Um, so Fordwater here, Round to No Name, and as you can see, coming off at No Name is like the worst place to come off, really, because even to this day there is hardly any run, uh, runoff there. You are going very quickly at that point, and so that in fact is where, where he crashed. And uh, here's a photograph of his car after that accident, and uh, it's pretty incredible, really, that he survived. I mean, that that's the front of the car, that that's his seat, so it's uh, just astonishing that he actually got out of that in uh, relatively one piece. He was obviously. In hospital for a number of uh, months afterwards but uh, lived to tell the tale. So going on another couple of years, this is an amazing photograph taken in the Goodwood pit lane in 1964 and there are actually four legends of the sport in this photograph. Here we have John Cooper uh, and this car is actually a Cooper Formula 3 car. On the left we have Ken Tyrrell, in the car, I'm sure you've all recognised him, Jackie Stewart, and standing behind here we have um, Bruce McLaren. Now, all four of these guys had uh, Formula One teams. Stewart became Jaguar, became Red Bull, Tyrrell became BAR, became Honda, became Brown, became Mercedes, and of course McLaren is still McLaren. So the, the DNA of the teams that these three guys started are actually still racing in that uh, Formula One um, to this day. And of course, John Cooper still has a very strong connection with that, minis and so forth. So the story behind this photograph, um, Jackie Stewart was uh, an up and coming sports car driver. He had no real interest in single seaters, but he won a race at Goodwood. And the circuit manager was friendly with Ken Tyrrell. Ran Ken Tyrrell up and said, there's this young Scottish lad. I think you should uh, give him a try. So Jackie Stewart came down. He'd never driven a single seater before, got to Goodwood and Bruce McLaren here got in the car and set a a kind of benchmark time. Jackie Stewart then got in the car and within four laps he'd gone faster than Bruce McLaren. McLaren got back into the car again and the same thing happened. Jackie Stewart got in again and went quicker still. So nobody was in any doubt that there was a superstar on their hands. Uh, He was signed up for the uh, 1964 Formula 3 season which he dominated. And that success propelled Jackie Stewart um, straight into Formula One um, the following year. And here he is back at Goodwood in his Formula One BRM in uh, 1965, with just that single year of uh, single-seater racing under his belt. Now, kind of remarkable thing happened that day. if you look at the circuit lap record down here, Jim Clark was also in that race April 1965, set a lap record of one minute 20.4, Jackie Stewart in the BRM one minute 20.4. So the two great Scottish drivers set a joint lap record, they only did it to one decimal place in those days. Now, you might be thinking that this document here, I've pulled this out of some kind of archive document. Actually, I haven't. This was from the programme when I raced at Goodwood in 2012. So through all the early years of the revival, nobody ever beat the Clark Stewart lap record. Eventually then, in 2015, um, a driver of a can car did uh, beat that record. Uh, and I was a little sad with that. I, I always liked the fact that the Clark Stewart lap record um, kind of stood for all time. Uh, but it did stand for fifty years, from uh, right from one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-five through to uh, twenty fifteen, when it was uh, eventually broken um, by the mid-60s Goodwood was in uh, decline and in 1966 in fact there was no Formula One race there but again times were different. Uh, The Formula One drivers also raced in Formula Two so the final first class motor race at Goodwood before the closure in 1966 was a Formula Two race Uh, and as they set off on the first lap of that race this was the running order. Jack Brabham, Denny Holm, Jackie Stewart, Graham Hill, Jim Clark and Jochen Rindt. Now those of you who are good on your 60s and 70s Formula 1 history will of course immediately realize that what those six guys all have in common is all world champions, all past, present or future world champions. I wonder if that's ever happened anywhere else, um six world champions in a row. And there is Jack Brabham um, winning that race, so it was um, quite a a send-off. But for various um, financial, regulatory and and safety reasons, uh, Freddie closed Goodwood for racing in uh, 1966. Freddie by then was in his 60s and I think just couldn't uh, take on what was required uh, to build all the infrastructure to keep racing there. But the track did stay open for testing uh, and this is the McLaren Can-Am team just a couple of years later 1968. Um, here we have uh, Denny Holm, Bruce McLaren and uh, the team manager Teddy Mayer. Two years later in 1970, 2nd of June 1970, uh, a scene very reminiscent of this again, the McLaren team came, came down to test their Can-Am cars. That probably was Goodwood's um, saddest day because Bruce McLaren was driving. Some of the bodywork came off, and uh, he lost control and was uh, was unfortunately killed. Um, so last year, of course, we had the the 50th anniversary of uh, Bruce McLaren's death um, at Goodwood. So testing carried on, and um, obviously these days cars have electronics and uh, sensors and so forth and the telemetry gets beamed back to rows of computers uh, in the pit lane. Um, Back in that era, um, data acquisition was um, a little bit more low-tech. So, believe it or not, that's actually a tyre technician hanging on for dear life, going around doing laps, watching how the tyres are behaving. I think that was before health and safety was invented. So I mentioned earlier on that competitions did still take place at uh, Goodwood and there were plenty of sprints. Uh, I won my first trophy in this car, at Van Diemen Multisport, down there in uh, 1996 and there were, there were big entries of cars for uh, for sprints. There also was a race school there run by Peter Gethin. He won the Italian Grand Prix in 1971 and was a big name in the Formula 5000 as well. I went down in 1991 and auditioned for Peter And uh, he took me on as a a part-time motor racing instructor at Goodwood. And I then spent uh, the next part of the uh, best part of the next decade uh, instructing motor racing there. And obviously drove uh, hundreds of laps of the circuit um, during that period. Now, as well as instructing aspiring racing drivers, we also did events for car dealers. And this obviously is for the uh, Ferrari uh, importer. But... These are photographs that I took actually during a FRA day that I did in 1994, and you can see how Goodwood looked then. We've got these uh, tin sheds where the pit lane, and you can see, uh, or, or the pits rather, pit garages, and this rough grass and gravel, this is where the, the lovely wooden garages of the, of the paddock now, now exist. So as you can see, um, a heck of a lot of work had to be done in a short space of time uh, to turn Goodwood from this uh, rather kind of, Slightly neglected look to uh, the Goodwood that we uh, that we know uh, today. So Freddie then died in 1989. I, I kind of like the fact that I was active at Goodwood in 88 and 89, so I was kind of active while, while he was while he was still alive and still there. Um, this is a little pen and ink drawing of Freddie that hangs in the Royal Automobile Club in Pall Mall. I, I took a photograph of it a couple of years ago. Um, what, what, what an amazing era to have lived through. Freddie saw some of the very first cars, and his parents had one of the first cars in the south of England. He was there at the start of aviation as well. Um, he lived through two world wars, uh, the Apollo moon landings, computers, mobile phones. What uh, absolute uh, momentous change he witnessed in his life. I can't imagine any other generation will ever live through uh, such, uh, such change that, uh, that he saw. Freddie told the story that later in life um, he went over to the States and his PA had booked a hotel room for him. And he was pretty modest, Freddie. He didn't uh, throw around his, his titles very much at all. And he went under the name of either Freddie March, and of course, in motor racing terms, that's how he was known, Freddie March, also Freddie Richmond. So he tried to book into the hotel he said, I think you have a, a reservation for uh, for Freddie March. And uh, the receptionist said, uh, no, sir, I'm afraid we don't. So he thought to himself, well, maybe my PA has used the title. So Freddie said, do you by any chance, Sam, do you have a booking in the name of the Duke of Richmond? And uh, the receptionist replied, oh, yes, sir, we do indeed. Uh, We've booked a suite for the Duke of Richmond with an adjoining room for Gordon. So Freddie and Betty's son, as I mentioned earlier on, um, became the 10th Duke. Um, He then died in September 2017, and the man we'd known up to that point as Lord March then became the Duke. Um, The 10th Duke wasn't really a car man, and to some extent he doesn't feature very prominently in the story, but he actually had quite an important role because, as I was saying a few minutes ago, testing and sprints, etc., did carry on at Goodwood. And he maintained the circuit at a level, he didn't close it down completely or allow it to fall into neglect. And because he did that, effectively that made the revival possible. Um, If he'd allowed it to uh, decay completely, then uh, his son probably wouldn't have been able to have actually launched the revival. So although he sort of sits in the background a little bit in the story, um, the Tenth Duke did have an important role to play. Now, by family tradition, um, the heir takes over at uh, aged 40, and in 1993, Lord Martin then reached, reached that age and uh, being the future 11th Duke. And his first initiative was to launch the Festival of Speed, as I mentioned earlier on, inspired by uh, an event that his grandfather ran 60 years previously. Um, I was there, I actually took this photograph myself of that first event couple of things to remark first of all pretty basic obviously there's lots of infrastructure these days uh, that first event just literally had a row of straw bales up the drive and that was it um, but also it was a massive success from the start here you can see some contemporary formula one cars look in the background there you can actually make out the mclaren f1 transporter so it was a massive success instantly uh, and of course went on for strength to strength um, after that So another poignant photograph. This is Sir Sterling Moss at a, at a later iteration of the Festival of Speed, uh, driving one of my favourite cars. This is the Ferguson Formula One car. It's the only four-wheel drive Formula One car to have actually uh, won a race. He won that. Uh, the uh, Sterling won the, the Gold Cup at Oldton Park in that car. So it was quite um, poignant to see him uh, driving that um, up the hill. So the success of the Festival of Speed started to build momentum towards the return of racing at the circuit and the Goodwood Supporters Association was formed and I was an early member of of that. Um, It was a a kind of lobbying group, I mean we met up for talks and all that kind of thing as well, but it was a lobbying group to try to persuade uh, the local authorities to grant planning permission for racing to uh, return. So I I lived in Sussex, as I mentioned earlier on, near the circuit, so we were asked to write to local government, uh, which we did. And it was a long and heavily involved process, all the planning applications and noise abatement and all the rest of it. But uh, the Goodwood team did a fantastic job and uh, they uh, secured planning permission and racing from 1998 was allowed to return uh, to the circuit. Um, Lord March then threw a big party in the uh, Goodwood House to uh, celebrate, and uh, the Goodwood Supporters Association were invited along. That was a, a memorable do. So, as I said, the first revival then took place uh, in September one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-eight. And if any of you were there that day, and you're anywhere near the pit straight, um, you certainly won't uh, forget this. Um, this was Ray Hanna who flew his Spitfire at zero feet down the uh, pit lane, or not the pit lane, the uh, the start finish straight, I should say. Um, these aren't terribly good photographs. Um, obviously in 1998, there weren't digital cameras around and the whole thing happened so fast that the, the professionals didn't really get any decent shots. So this is a couple of photographs that were taken by uh, by spectators, um, but it really was absolutely amazing. I, I know somebody who was in this uh, control tower here and he was actually looking down into the cockpit of, of Ray Han and Spitfire. So uh, yeah, everybody was very impressed by that, um, apart from the CAA, uh, so yeah. Pro old Ray Hanna, did, uh, he did get his knuckles wrapped for that, I'm afraid. So the revival continued and went on to, from strength to strength. Um, this is my car, which I raced there in uh, 2012. I, it's a two-driver pro-am race at Mary's Trophy. So I shared with uh, Derek Daly, who's a former uh, Formula One Indy car and a sports car driver. And uh, he came over from the States, uh, especially to uh, race with me. So it was a it was a massive project for us, getting the entry, finding the car, rebuilding the car, getting Derek over from America. It was a huge project, but uh, very rewarding and uh, absolutely a um, fantastic experience. And uh, there we are. Uh, the theme of the party, sorry. Freddie always invited the drivers along to uh, a party and his uh, grandson did likewise the famous Goodwood revival party that we went to on the Saturday night. The theme of that party was uh, Dr. Shivago and uh, the Russian Revolution. With lots of actors dressed up as Cossacks and things. Um, so it was, uh, again, a very memorable evening. So I mentioned earlier on the Settledon Cup. Um, what, what, what a genius idea! Um, you can't have a, a real uh, Le Mans start for real cars, but the kids can do that and run across to the pedal cars, which is uh, a lot of fun. And they then pedal like furious, furiously up the uh, start finish straight. Uh, so it's a very popular and it's a real a real hit now. at Goodwood, the uh, Settledon Cup. So the. Chicane these days is made out of kind of fake bricks. Uh, it looks a little bit like bricks, but they're actually made out of polystyrene, thankfully. So uh, in, the, in the old days, the, uh, the chicane wrecked the cars, but nowadays uh, the cars wreck the chicane, which I'm sure you agree is the, uh, the, better, the better way round. So it's a little bit blurry, that picture. It's actually a still from a, from a video um, rather, than, uh, rather than a photograph as such. I'm always intrigued by these marshals standing over here. There's this massive accident going on behind them, and they're, they're looking in the opposite direction for some strange reason. They they don't seem to have noticed it. Now, this is Goodwood, as many of you may not have seen it before. And the the observant amongst you will, will notice two things. Um, first of all, it's night. Obviously, you can see all the lights of the service crews here in the paddock, uh, working on the car, on the cars. But the other notable thing, of course, is that the car is going the wrong way. It's going in the wrong direction. Now, this is part of the rally that I mentioned in my opening um, that I've been involved with for a number of years, um, the South Down Stages rally. And for one part of the event, we run the stage on the circuit. It's always in the winter, by the way, so it's always freezing and usually wet. But we run one part of the rally anti-clockwise around the circuit which I think is great, I think it's a, a marvellous little nod to Tony Gaze and those wartime pilots that actually started racing at, at, uh, at Goodwood, uh, that at least one day a year um, Goodwood is actually used in that um, anti-clockwise direction. So I've taken part quite a few times in my Mini, so I've come up the pit lane here, instead of going straight on up out onto the circuit I've done a U-turn and I'm heading out and I'm about to head round the circuit in an anti-clockwise direction. So I'm going to now play you a video. This is an in-car video of me uh, going around Goodwood. I'm sure many of you have done track days. You're all quite familiar with the clockwise way around Goodwood. I'm going to show you going around um, Goodwood in an anti-clockwise direction. So I'll have to fiddle with the controls a little bit to get the sound working, but hopefully that will play and uh, you will be able to hear some sound. I'm just turning the sound down a, bit, a bit too loud. So this is the car park on the right As you come into Goodwood, the car park on the right Immediately by the, by the gate Set up as part of the stage So yes, wet and pretty cold in February so That's the Tesco as well So now we're going out onto the circuit Near the chicane So turning right now and heading clockwise around the circuit There's the, uh, the super shell building that like we mentioned earlier on Runoff area for Woodcote. We turn that into an extra little bit of circuit to make a to make a kind of chicane. It was very slippy that year. So we're coming up to St Mary's now. It's the only left-hander at Goodwood. Obviously now it's going to be a right-hander. Just check out on the left this little blast pen that we go through. i So we're coming up to No Name Corner. This is no that's where Sterling Mauts crashed. Absolutely. We're heading now up towards Ford Water. This bit on the left always stays wet, and that's why I'm keeping out a bit. And on very cold days when we have the valley, that always stays icy, so literally there's ice on the circuit. Back up to the circuit. So those typhoons that we looked at earlier on, yeah, they were parked here, grass just, just there. Um, an anti-clockwise um, lap of Goodwood, I uh, hope, you, uh, hope you enjoyed that. So I mentioned that in 2017, then I took part in the Festival of Speed. So Race to Recovery is a charity that I've been involved with for some years, uh, aiding uh, injured servicemen, people who've lost limbs and things in, uh, in Afghanistan. And that uh, we set up a, a, a deal whereby I was driving this uh, M Sport R5 rally car, which was an absolute rocket ship, fastest thing I've ever driven but I took some of the ex-servicemen around the the rally stage. It was uh, a lot of fun and, of course, great to be part of uh, the Festival of Speed, Uh, not least because you do get to bump into all the stars. So this is Valtteri Bottas. He turned up in the driver's lounge with a kind of a minder guy who was uh, obviously making it clear that uh, there weren't going to be any photographs, so I had to. Kind of stalk him a little bit to get the picture. I followed him into the man's changing rooms, uh, hung around in the corner for a little while, and picked an appropriate moment and then asked him for a photograph. And um, he was absolutely uh, fine with that in the absence of the of the minder. So, quick bit of Goodwood trivia for you. Um, who knows? Obviously, this works better with a live audience. Who knows the fastest car that's ever driven around Goodwood? And note my question, the fastest car, didn't say the car that holds the lap record, not the Can-Am car that holds the lap record. In fact, um, the fastest car to drive around Goodwood was in fact Bluebird. Uh, Donald Campbell took Bluebird down there in that uh, 1960. I do, I gather he reached about 100 miles an hour here and there on the straights, but bearing in mind that uh, Bluebird only had four degrees of steering lock. Um, he wasn't going to be uh, setting any, uh, any lap records. I think this is on YouTube. Actually, I think if you search Bluebird at Goodwood or something like that on YouTube, you can actually find um, some uh, footage of this. And here at Brooklyn's TV, we're uh, having an event actually on the 25th of March. Our next event is all about um, Donald Campbell. It's marking the the centenary of his birth and his daughter, Gina, and his nephew uh, will also be on on, on the call. So um, hopefully some of you will will join us for that uh, interesting talk. Um, I mentioned earlier on about the lap record at Goodwood, uh, 1 minute 20 seconds in 1965, then lowered to 1 minute 18 seconds in 2015 by the CanAm car. I actually shattered the Goodwood lap record myself. Um, I went round in 1 minute 15 seconds, um, but there was some cheating involved. Um, first of all, I was driving a modern Formula 3 car with uh, lots of downforce and slick tyres, and uh, secondly, um, I was actually in a simulator uh, so this is a professional race driver simulator it's in paris actually for for training uh serious drivers and uh, the software people came over and did a very detailed scan of goodwood and uh, put together this uh program which is absolutely fantastic it, replicates all the little curbs and all the little joints in the tarmac and the bumps and everything. It's all set out as per the revival. So all the marshes of white coats and all this kind of thing. So it uh, really is excellent if you ever get a chance to drive that, it's sort of the, the next best thing to actually driving uh, in uh, the revival. So on our left, we have a wartime aerial photograph of Goodwood of West Hampton, I should say, as it was called then. Uh, towards the latter end of the war, and here we have uh, from our our friend, Mr. Google, um, the current shape. And as you can look, as you can see rather, uh, the shape of Goodwood hasn't changed at all. It's absolutely identical to that perimeter road at at the end of the war. Um, That's not the case with everywhere, of course, like Silverstone, for example, was was a bomber base, um, and it's really unrecognisable now from the war, but all all of uh, Goodwood follows that perimeter track um, absolutely faithfully. I mentioned, well, you can see all the blast pens around here uh, to protect the aircraft from, that, from from attack, only one of them remains, and if you picked it out, I think I mentioned it on the way around, uh, we, we use that on the rally as a little chicane into that that one remaining um, blast pen there. I think there's probably a little bit, the tarmac's probably a little bit wider down here at the chicane, but other than that, uh, the circuit is, as you can see, um, identical. So, this would be an aviator's view of Goodwood. Um, runway 32 is the main runway. The prevailing wind is a westerly coming along this way. So um, mainly landing here on that runway 32. Um, but there are a, a number of uh, other runways as well running across and, and, and running down here. Um, Goodwood does have a bit of a drainage problem and they did suffer a little bit from um, wet ground there. So there's was a big drainage program, which has uh, put in a few years ago, which has uh, improved that significantly. This is Goodwood from the south. Um, so here we have, have the circuit. Over here we have Goodwood House. So you can see it's pretty close. Uh, and I think that the Festival sort of Speed is either being built up or deconstructed at this time. There's a lot of activity and trucks up there at the house. Um, over here we have the Rolls Royce factory. Um, visible obviously from an aerial shot but not not visible from ground level because it, it was lowered it was built in, in a kind of a, a sunken location so that it has that uh, very little visibility for uh, for for passers-by and uh, you can go on tours at the uh, Rolls-Royce factory so I recommend you do that if you uh, ever um, get the chance. So obviously I've talked mainly about the motor racing side of things, um, Goodwood said they, they are the, the world's most beautiful race course. I've not been to many race courses, but I can certainly say that its location in the South Downs is um, absolutely beautiful. It's a, a stunning um, location for a racetrack. It's kind of made for it really. And the Queen, of course, came down for racing there. I guess that's probably what, late 50s, early 60s. And uh, that's the Queen there with, uh, with Freddie at a uh, horse race uh, meeting So as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the 10th Duke died in uh, September 2017. In that same year, um, the start-finish straight at Brooklands was um, opened and Lord March, as he then was, I think he became the Duke later in the year, I think he was still Lord March at the time. He came along to open, or should I say reopen, um, the the finishing straight that his grandfather had uh, raced on and won uh, the uh, the double 12 race um, 87 years previously. Um, So it's nice to keep that little connection going there between uh, Brooklands and uh, Goodwood. So, uh, as I said, Lord March then became the Duke in uh, September 2017. And under his leadership, uh, Goodwood really has become the most uh, incredible um, estate. 12,000 acres in total, the the motor circuit, uh, Goodwood House, the race course, we've looked at all of these, 4,000 acre organic farm two 18-hole golf courses, uh, the airdrome and the flying school, clay shooting ground, 91-bedroom hotel, health and fitness club, the Kennels Clubhouse. I'm looking forward to going back there shortly when they uh, they reopen. Likewise, the Farmer Butcher Chef Restaurant. The Hound Lodge, that's a a kind of a high-end lodge that you can uh, rent uh, to stay in. The Rolls-Royce Motor Factory that we mentioned earlier on. Employing 550 people and uh, attracting some 800,000 visitors to the estate um, each year, so as I say, a, a really a fantastic uh, organisation. Um, so finally, um, on a subject which attracted a bit of controversy over the last few years, uh, but unlike some venues and some uh, series, uh, I'm pleased to say that for for reasons of historic authenticity, Um, Goodwood do still employ uh, suitably attired grid girls. So there you are, Uh, that's the conclusion of the talk, thank you very much everyone. Um, Do we have any questions Steve and Tim, are you now going to uh, come in for me?
2: In fact we've got Matthew Eastall who uh, was the author of the other (laughs) Q&As.
0: Wide range of subjects, and I've enjoyed it very much. Fascinating. Good. thank you. Um, it, it, it wasn't tuning, Harry. I was just trying to get some um, free instruction on how I can get a bit quicker, really, around, around the course. Um, but I know over over um, a computer, there's no substitute for doing it. But yeah, just if you've got a small car, any uh, any secret racing lines you would do, do in a in an old
1: mini and not in a fast car? There, there, there are are a few little, little trick lines. I always remember that uh, we, we did Aston Martin days and um, the drummer from Pink Floyd, oh gosh, I'm gonna forget his name now. Nick, Nick Mason. Mason. Nick Mason, the drummer from Pink Floyd came down and uh, I was instructing Nick, really, really nice guy. And I showed him a little sort of trick line at, uh, at Lavent. If you get the turn in just right at Lavent, you can actually take the whole corner without actually moving the wheel again. It's quite satisfying if you get it right. And yeah. uh, every time I see um, Nick Mason racing at Goodwood or driving Goodwood, I always wonder, mm, does he still remember that little tip that I gave him all those, all those years ago? <laughs> uh, but uh, other than that, I, I, there, there, is a, there is a racing school there, Matthew. Hopefully, they'll be um, operating again pretty soon. And um, there will be a, uh, I'm quite sure one of the instructors there will be able to give you lots of tips on how to drive more quickly around Goodwood. Oh, that's
0: great. I'm going to be back there on the 8th, 8th of um, May with my motor club. We've got a sprint running there. But um, yeah, it will certainly enrich my visit going back there, knowing
1: all the um, things you, you, that you've shared with us tonight. So thanks very much yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no problem, Matthew. Thanks for thanks for being on the on the uh, webinar.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matthew. I've uh, got Brian Small now with a question, Brian. Uh, to be honest, to to be honest, I'm not quite sure what happened there because I I didn't necessarily have a. Uh, A question for you, but I uh, am uh, interested in the members meeting and what you think uh, uh, the future for the members meeting is, which I think is actually, yeah, possibly for motorsport enthusiasts, the best of the meetings now. I'm a Goodwood Road and Racing Club member and actually have competed myself there.
1: Yeah, well, the uh, the members' meeting of course is pushed off to the autumn, which which I think is good. I think it's a nice way to uh, to end to end the season rather than beginning the season. So, um, you know, you can still have the race into darkness and all that kind of stuff. So, I think an autumn members' meeting is is fine. Actually, uh, slightly frustrating to not get to Goodwood uh, as early as we hoped in the year, but uh, I think they've come up with a pretty good out- outcome there. Um, friends, who are professional racing drivers warned me against taking my classic around Goodwood as it's a car breaker. Um, well, it, it it is it is a it is a a dangerous circuit, a relatively dangerous circuit, somewhere like Silverstone has miles and miles of runoff. Uh, if you go off there, um, you're, you're, you're pretty safe to, to end up uh, in, a, in a gravel bed. Whereas if you go off at Goodwood, as I mentioned in the talk, certain parts of the circuit have very little runoff. So, you know, it depends on how fast you want to drive it, Colin. You know, if you want to experience Goodwood, you know, it's not compulsory, I used to say this to people when I was instructing there. It's not compulsory to thrash your car to death. Just because you're driving on a race, race circuit, you know, you can actually drive around Goodwood at a kind of a half sensible speed, but keeping plenty in reserve so you're not going to go off and enjoy the experience of the circuit so you know you, you don't have to um, absolutely thrash it. I think that answers. Yeah, we've got
2: um, Alan Morecambe. Alan, are
1: you there?
0: Yeah, hi. Um, hi Harry. Um, I enjoyed Alan. your presentation and I noticed you mentioned the Peter Gethin racing school. Yep. And um, I went there for a very enjoyable day many years ago. I'm bumping a guy called Callum Lockie. And I wonder if you remember Callum. And um, I think he was a professional racing driver. And whether yeah. you do remember him and um, have you have got anything to say? I,
1: I, I think Callum Lockie is still active. I think he runs a company called Gold Tracker. He organizes um, track days. I think that's the same person that we're t- thinking about uh, if, if I'm not getting confused, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is still active in the uh, in the uh, in, in the field. Yeah, so uh, I wonder if I instructed you that day, but uh, maybe uh, you don't remember me.
0: <laughs> what, what
1: what year was it, Alan? Can you remember the year?
0: Oh wow, it must have been about 1993
1: or four, five. Yeah, yeah, I was I was pretty active down there in uh, those days. Um, so it could could well have been me. Um, Sarah here has asked a question Sarah, what did you think of the rally stage at Speed Week I thought it was absolutely fantastic I mean I think we put on a a decent show at the South Down stages obviously we've got spectators and so forth so we can't use all the tunnels and one thing and another but uh, I really thought that the uh, the rally stage watching it was just brilliant and uh, I think they are going to run something similar maybe not quite using all of the the circuit that they did at Speed Week but I think they're going to run something similar at the the members meeting hopefully that was uh, really really good
2: yeah okay we've got uh ross panel here ross if you go ahead hi how are, how are you
1: oh hi ross how are you doing yeah good to, yeah. good to, uh, well not see you but hear your voice how are you doing
2: <laughs> no thank you very much that was a great um a great talk um i'm a, a massive fan of goodwood and have been a member um uh for around 12 years now i think but um uh, yeah, just wondering uh, if you were likely to be um, racing again at any of the events, um, If you, what, what cars you're still running. Um, I know they sort of alternate uh, uh, St. Mary's trophies uh, between eras um, at, at the Revival, but um, yeah, just wondered if you had any plans uh, for any of the events? Soon. No,
1: I've, I've, I've kind of switched disciplines a bit these days, Ross. I have an old um, early Audi 80 Quattro. Um, 1983 Audi Quattro, so I'm telling to do historic rallying these days, um, but my car is a Let's, let's say it's a, it's, a, it's a recreation of an Audi Quattro rally car. It's not actually an original. So it wouldn't really meet the standards of Goodwood They for their rally stages. They would obviously want uh, the, the real McCoy and mm. uh, cars that actually uh, competed in period. My sort of reproduction uh, wouldn't really um, cut the mustard, I'm afraid, quite rightly as well. I mean, Goodwood needs to keep those standards up. So, uh, no, I don't think I'll be competing at, at Goodwood other than potentially in the, uh, the south down stages in the near future, Ross.
2: Sure. No, thanks very much.
1: Okay, no, no worries. I must uh, give you a call sometime.
2: For sure, definitely. Okay, cheers. Okay, I think someone asked a question in the chat. Uh, Christopher says, how are entrants and exhibits chosen for the revival?
1: Oh, that's a big question. I'm going to have to pass on that one. There's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in terms of the, the selection of our cars and, and drivers and guests. It's a very complex issue, so I'm afraid I'm not going to uh, able to uh, go on to that one on, on this call I'm afraid.
2: okay and we have a raised hand from Steve Brown Steve if you go ahead. okay uh, great talk
0: Harry. Um, I Steve. too am an original GSA member uh-huh. and um, I really loved the uh, talks that we used to have with the um, drivers that used to come and speak to us mm-hmm. particularly those of like Murray Walker and Derek Bell. they were real fun evenings. It's a shame mm-hmm. those are not continued. What do you reckon?
1: Well, in a way they do, Steve, they actually continue at Brooklands, um, because at Brooklands, we have all manner of drivers coming along. John Watson's coming quite soon. Um, I think we, 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 we've, you know, a number, obviously it's all been disrupted over the last year. But um, can I encourage you to uh, join the Brooklands members and uh, to come to the talks that we organise there? I think it's actually quite close to what we used to have with the GSA, actually.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I look into that.
1: Yeah, yeah doing, I'll hopefully see you at Brooklands at some point in the, in the next few months, Steve.
0: Harry, can I just comment on that? Um, the gentleman that's just asked the question. Yeah, for sure. We have over the years had a huge amount of uh, competitive drivers from now and in the past. And uh, we'd love to see you there. It's uh, okay. a great evenings, Very well supported. It's a great friendship. And the bar's open. So what more could you ask for?
2: All right, Steve. In. Thanks very much. There, I we have, I haven't got any more by the look of it. So uh, over to you, Steve.
0: Okay, Harry. Thank you so much for this evening. Um, we got over the glitches to begin with. Uh, always a success. Uh, just to remind you, and you mentioned it, Harry, in your presentation that we have an evening uh, to celebrate the birth of Donald Campbell. Sorry. Um, uh, 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 at 7pm on the 25th of March, Um, all are welcome, usual applications for tickets via the same address, talks at Um, brooklandsmembers.co.uk, again starts at 7 o'clock. We will be holding further webinars as we go through the year, but hopefully we'll be back in person with Steve Parrish and Maria Costello on the 24th of June. So once again, Harry, thank you very much. Been brilliant to see everyone tonight, or to hear from you. Um, like to thank everyone who's been involved in getting this together tonight, especially for Tim who produced it and uh, got us through some of these glitches. So to everyone, good night. Take care, and we'll see you very soon. Thank you very much.